This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The Florida Panthers win their first ever Stanley Cup final game on Thursday night, and we have a series, folks. It's a pretty boring game after 40 minutes last night, if I'm going to be honest. Game three between the Vegas Golden Knights and Florida Panthers in the Stanley Cup final. It was boring until it wasn't. I mean, the first period, not great. I mean, shots on goal were 6-5 to five Vegas. Not a whole lot of action going on there. Uh, but, you know, Matthew Kachuk in the first period, he gets rocked by Keegan Colasar. Misses around 17 minutes of gameplay through those first two periods. Comes back and, yeah. Matthew Kachuk, he gets the goal to send the game to overtime with two minutes left in regulation. And then Carter Verhage with the game winner, his fourth game winning goal of the playoffs. So those two guys coming in clutch again for the Florida Panthers. Yeah, that final, what, 20, 20 minutes of that game, including regulation and overtime. It got fun. It got exciting. It's a better game from the Florida Panthers last night. Uh, Bobrovsky was sharp, especially in the second period when the Golden Knights were were really outworking the Panthers uh, early in that second period. At the end of the shots in the second, it was 13-8, to eight, so it doesn't look that bad, but it took nearly half the period for Florida to get a shot on goal. They were sitting at five shots until about nine minutes into the second period. So again, not great, but Pan- the Panthers looked better because of Bobrovsky. Their their blue line was a little bit better. Um, they had some forward combos working, obviously, Kachuk, uh, was great for Hagee. Uh, his combo with Duclair and Barkov, they were pretty good last night. Brandon Montour, he gets the new dad bump, ends his scoring slump with uh, his, new, his son, Kai, watching from home. He opened the scoring in the first period. Meanwhile, on the Vegas side, I mean, they're still up 2-1 to one in the series. They have a chance to go up 3-1 to one on Saturday. Panthers, though, have a chance to tie the series to a piece before heading back to Vegas for Game 5. Uh, March so had his 13th goal of this postseason. Uh, yeah, that's right. He now ties Leon Dreisaitl for the lead in goals this postseason. Dreisaitl is still sitting at the top for a while after he was on a heater through the first uh, first round and a half before I guess he went a little bit cold against the Golden Knights. Mark Stone had his first period goal on the power play. Two power play goals for Vegas, but the power play wasn't great last night either. No five-on-five goals, so it seems weird to say that their power play wasn't great last night, despite the fact they scored two goals well on the man advantage, but uh, went two for six overall. Florida, meanwhile, 0 for 5. Special teams may be something to focus on today at practice before... Game four goes on Saturday night. Um, we're going to dive into that a little bit more with our first guest of the show, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, when he joins us. Uh, but in other news, there was a sign-in trade this morning between the Columbus Blue Jackets and New Jersey Devils. Damon Severson signs an eight-year deal at six and a quarter million. Then he gets traded to the Columbus Blue Jackets for a third-round pick. Uh, that's 80th overall. That's, that's, I like it. It's a fine bit of work. The Devils were going to lose him anyways. Uh, they've got a crowd of blue line, and they've got other free agents that are probably, not probably, that are higher priority to sign, and Timo Meyer, Jesper Bratt, and Steverson is an unrestricted free agent on July 1st, so they get a little bit back for a guy they were going to lose anyways. And the Columbus Blue Jackets get to grab a guy, beef up their blue line. That was really bad last season. 
scored on over 300 times <laughs> last year. The Columbus Blue Jackets were worst team in the league in terms of goals against per 60. It was a 3.47 goals against per goals against per 60 at five on five. Not great. So they're going to shore that up. They add Damon Severson. They get him before he heads to market and they get that eighth year for the cost of that third round pick. Um, so that's one bit of news we can get into with Greg. Um, and some local news, according to Elliot Friedman, Ryan Huska is the leading contender to be the next head coach of the Calgary Flames. Nothing's done till it's done. Still waiting for official word from the Flames. But here's what Frege had to say about that today. Yeah, so the Calgary Flames are one of two teams right now without a head coach. The New York Rangers are the other. Nothing is done until it's done. But the word is that Ryan Huska, who has been an assistant coach for the Flames for the past five seasons, is the leading contender. But nothing is done. All right. I guess he was just saying nothing's done until it's done. I guess I stole the words right out of Elliot's mouth there. Uh, Pat Steinberg and I had a chat about the coaching search yesterday obviously it seems like they're going to be going for an internal candidate that only you know brian husk obviously is one of them and according to elliot's a leading contender um and i said this yesterday i don't have a problem with going with the assistant or the ahl guy get off the goal get off the coaching carousel it doesn't always work uh you know we've seen other teams go for their American Hockey League coach or an associate coach and give them a promotion and have some success. Of course, I know it's probably pretty silly to say, oh, well, maybe Mitch loves the next John Cooper. It's kind of an unfair expectation to put on somebody, but I don't have a problem with the Calgary Flames uh, getting off that coaching carousel and, and giving somebody a shot. Ryan Huska has put in a lot of time with the organization, a lot of time into the craft. He's been coaching for, you know, almost two decades at this point, and he has a history with a lot of the players who are going to be important next season and the years going forward in Calgary. I mean, don't forget when he was coaching the Stockton Heat, he was coaching Rasmus Anderson and Andrew Mangiapane, Oliver Shillington, um, so I think that's going to be important, especially coming out of a season like last year where there was some turmoil between the players and the coach. So we'll wait for official word from the Calgary Flames that it is indeed Ryan Huska, but that's the news of the day from Elliot Friedman. Uh, now let's go to the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotlines. We got Greg Wyshynski, our friend from ESPN. He joins us now. Greg, how are we doing? How's Florida? <laughs> it's good when it's not raining so it's good for like five hours then it's bad for about 20 minutes and then it's good for another five hours but no it's been fun i mean obviously like didn't really know how yesterday was going to go um for the panthers and and the idea that now we've got ourselves a series at least for the moment and obviously had another chance to uh to uh, sing the praises of mr's uh matthew kachuk and sergey Bobrovsky yeah. was also a, a good thing too Mm-hmm. Because we haven't had enough Matthew Kachuk content on Sportsnet 960 <laughs> for these <laughs> well, sweet fans. Well, I mean, like, it's, it's amazing. I was talking to, to Aaron Eckblad about this today, actually, because, I mean, he's obviously been in Florida for a while. And then I said to him, I said, you know, what is the deal? Like, what is different about this team with the addition of Matthew Kachuk? And he just kind of, like, laid it out as far as him – you know, bringing a different vibe, a different energy, bringing the fun to, to Florida a little bit. And then also, you know, literally put him over as a leader by saying he's a guy that will follow into battle. And yeah. again, you think about the fact that this guy never wore the C in Calgary and, you know, now he's in Tampa, now he's in Florida rather, and in, in Sunrise, and he's not wearing the C there either. But, you know, unquestionably, this guy is 
a leader amongst leaders on that team. It's been it's been fun to watch. And I mean, my first ever sports assignment actually was the 2005 Memorial Cup final. And he had the game winning goal mm-hmm. to to win that championship when he was with the London Knights. So I feel like I've been tracking this guy this whole like this is just kind of who he's been. And I think it's probably frustrating for some Flames fans because they didn't always see this consistently from Matthew Kachuk uh, in terms of the leadership, in terms of showing up in the playoffs. Like maybe things are a little bit different. Like, you know, last year in the playoffs in the second round against Edmonton, if Matthew Kachuk looks like he is right now, I think it's probably been it's been hard to watch him have this success. But I think a little bit frustrating, too, because it's like, where was this guy, you know, (laughs) one year ago? He didn't score. He didn't score 11 goals in the playoffs of the Flames and have seven of them be in the third period or or later in the game. Is that what you're trying to say? No, that that is what I'm saying. Let's pause on that. (laughs) Let's pause on that for a second. Why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that this is? There's a lot of things about this guy that are similar, and, and in mm-hmm. fact, in, in game two, very, very similar with two game, two uh, ten minute misconducts in the same game. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was the Kachuk <laughs> I remember from Calgary. But I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things about him that seem different. I mean, there mm-hmm. and 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 the leveling up from star to megastar. Like, what do you think it is about the situation in Calgary that either held him back or or where he didn't achieve this uh, this 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 particular Pokemon evolution that he has in Florida. Well, I think we all remember though, the one down season that he had, um, it was the 56 game season. I think he was an under point per game player. And that's the year where there's, I think that was the year, maybe it was the year before that I'm getting all the, look, some of the drama mixed up, but he had that one playoff round. Um, it was the play in that was excellent. You know, watching him, you know, up against Mark Shifley, all we know Paul Maurice had to think about that at the time. But I remember watching him in the playoffs that year and being like, Oh my God, this is my favorite player. This is so fun. I wasn't covering the team at the time, but we saw glimpses of that from Matthew Kachuk in that plan. But then he got hurt and we saw the way that that impacted the Calgary flames. Kachuk was out with the concussion and then they lose. What was it to the Dallas stars that year? Uh, in the first round of the playoffs, and uh, I mean that just completely imploded that season when Jeff Ward was the the head coach in that that bubble. And right, then the season right, after right, that, yeah. he comes back, and he was coming off of that concussion. He was coming off of a couple other, you know, not previously reported injuries, and he had a pretty down year under point per game player. Um, you know, people were saying things like, "Oh, you know, he's not going to be worth the nine million dollar qualifying offer." Like, got to move on from Matthew Kachuk. Uh, there was the, the puck flip incident. Remember that year with, uh, Jake Muzzin, the Maple Leafs, and they had the players only meeting and there's like tension in the locker room that year with Matthew. So that was a weird year. And then he, of course, last season, he has the 104 point season. So I feel like it was just a lot of up and down of seeing that guy. And then, you know, having that guy kind of be sat down and quieted almost like it sounds like Matthew had a hard time that year where he didn't like that was all he'd known how to do like that's how he played the game and he was being told like it can't be a battle every night right man like rein it in so that was probably a bit of a struggle um and it's different systems in florida too it's a good question it's hard to decipher what happened though i mean he's probably playing a bit freer under paul maurice but i mean he wasn't playing poorly under daryl sutter either he had 104 point season 42 goals but then he leveled it up this year i mean on top of the difference in expectation, I mean, and, and the difference in market where, I mean, obviously it's no, no secret that there's a, a volume of, of media coverage in Calgary that doesn't exist in, in Sunrise. I and mean, that's not really speaking out of turn here. I mean, I think the thing that you're, you're kind of circling around is the idea of maturity. I mean, he's still yes. young, obviously. He's still a really young player, but 
But I mean, the difference between 21 and and 24 and 25 is is pretty remarkable for an NHL player. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like a lot of that does circle back to to the immaturity of being a young star. And maybe, you know, when you you make a big life decision, like saying you're not going to re-sign with the team that drafted you, and then you make the big life decision to figure out where you're going to play for the next, like, eight years of your life. I mean, maybe these are the kinds of things that, are indicative of, of growing up and, and understanding how to approach the game in a different way and, and play. I mean, it's still, it's, it's chaos, but it's controlled chaos in a way that maybe it wasn't at times in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I think the growth element's a big part of it. And especially the growth when it comes to being able to play on the edge and not cross over it and I think we saw him go a little bit too far in the first two games like he was not available to play more than he was in the box or sitting in the locker room it seems like and then he kind of like refound that spot in game three Matthew Kachuk is his most effective when he is not in the penalty box but he's still playing on that edge and being that guy people hate to play against but when he tips over it and he's just in the penalty box or being given game misconducts you're like well now you've gone too far because we actually need you on the ice. That was my favorite thing of the of the series. So that was my favorite thing of the series so far. By the way, the, to speak about physicality is like I I've, I never heard a coach until Paul Maurice basically say after the first two games of the series, it, this series should be less physical. Mm-hmm. Like especially in the playoffs, right? Like in the playoffs, yeah. it's always like you know the toughest survive, and you've got to man up and punch them in the face until they stop punching you in the face. All this other nonsense. This is the first time I ever heard a coach be like, We're, we really should stop engaging with them so much when it comes to hitting. And, and you, you saw the numbers fall off a cliff as far as the hits in game three. Um, Vegas out hit them by four, by four checks, I think. And the Panthers only had about 14 after having like upwards of over 30, I think, in the previous game um, in the hits category. So, you know, he, he drew the differentiation between the physicality and the discipline. I mean, Kachuk's major malfunction in the first two games was discipline and taking all those penalties. Um, but he was also a guy that was trying to throw his body around and make a statement. And, and the dialing back of that in game three, I think, is a huge reason why they won. And, and, and you know, they yeah. dialed it back and were able to get to their structure better. And their structure led to better five on five play. And their five on five play led to Bob being great. And if the Vegas Golden Knights score an even strength goal in that game, this mm-hmm. is probably a 3 0 series. Um, and they didn't. So I think all of that tracks back to the idea of, hey, dummies, um, we know you like <laughs> to hit people. We know, we know you always like to blow up people, but don't. And, and maybe yeah. just stick to your game plan a little bit better. And that was, that was yeah. remarkable to hear. I, I don't remember really hearing that message conveyed by a veteran coach like that before. Yeah, it's finding the composure and just stop running around and trying to chase hits and focus on actually playing hockey in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. yeah. And it Are you wasn't surprised even like with how this is going, go- Greg? I'm a little bit, I was going to say, it wasn't even like they were being goaded into it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like trying to hurt people. And, right. and, yeah. and, and so that was the really remarkable thing. Am I surprised the way it's going? No. I mean, I saw Vegas against Dallas, and that felt like a team that was peaking at the right, the, at the right time. And the first two games of the series had me convinced that this was going to be a steamroller of a series. I mean, once I got back to Florida and kind of got a sense of what the Panthers thought went wrong and, you know, Bob – his ability to bounce back from a bad effort. Um, you know, there was something in the air that said that this could be a, a 2-1 series after three. I still thought there was a really good chance Vegas skates away with a 3-0 lead last night, and, and they almost did. Um, mm-hmm. 
But no, it's it's kind of gone the way I thought it would. I mean, everything seems to be where where it should be. I, I think if maybe there's only if there's been one surprise for me, um, it's been this power play, uh, you know, debacle <laughs> going on right now right. for the the Panthers, where the, the the Golden Knights have two power play goals in each of the first three games. The Panthers have yet to score one. Uh, despite Paul Maurice making the argument that the six-on-five goal should count as a power play goal, I don't, I don't agree with that. Uh, he's just trying to play some the semantics game. So I think yeah. that that might be the biggest surprise for me right now is is that the the huge uh, uh, differentiation and special teams effect of this between the teams. Even the Vegas power play has left a little bit to be desired too. I mean, they went two for six overall last night, and it's weird to say that it hasn't been great when they score both their goals in the power play. And as you said, if they could get one five on five goal, they have a commanding lead in the series, but yeah, Florida's over. Yeah. Too. I mean, like a ton of power play opportunities and like not a lot of quality coming out of them. Right. Exactly. And, and I mean, you know, like you said, it's not as if Vegas didn't have their chances to score even more power play goals last night. I, they got goalied a little bit, you know, the Leafs fans yeah. know what that's like in games one and two <laughs> against Florida. It happens sometimes. But Borofsky can do that to you. I, 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 again, like after hearing Bruce Cassidy today at the Golden Knights availability and some of the, what some of the players were saying, like there's a clear sense of confidence that these things happen. We still have the lead in the series. We're, we're pretty, we're pretty good with the way we played. Um, but again, like the other part of that though is this is this is the Panthers. This is what they do. They they do remarkable things when counted out. Um, they win game three. They, they do they do all the other things they did in these playoffs. And then on top of all that, the Golden Knights were 10-0 and when they had a lead after the second period in these playoffs. They were yeah. – Bruce. I looked it up. Bruce Cassidy's teams, tracking back to when he was coaching the Boston Bruins, were 25-1 and after leading after two periods. Like, Ooh. that's not – that's not an anomaly, right? Like, like this is what his teams do. And, and so – I think they're confident. I think they like the way they played. I think they know they were a bounce away from, from really putting the stake in the heart of the Panthers. But at the same time, it's like at some point you have to acknowledge the, the magic on the other end of the ice, for, the, for lack of a better term, and, and the things that the Panthers do and, 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 and the things that, that happen when they're on the ice that just kind of lead you to believe that this might be a, a destiny thing. Right. Teams with a 2 nothing lead in a best-of-seven Stanley Cup final – have won that series 90.6% of the time. Only five teams have come back to win from that deficit. That was uh, on NHL.com yesterday. And it feels like if there's a team that can, you know, become the sixth team to do that, like it would be this Florida Panthers that keep, you know, people keep counting them out and they come back. Although I've, I am leaning more towards Vegas at this point. The team doesn't have a ton of holes. But uh, if there's someone who could no. do it, I wouldn't be shocked if it was Florida. Because Matthew That's Kachuk is one fact. of the ones who does, and sorry, Greg, Kachuk keeps like bringing up these like narratives and then like hitting on them, right? Like he says yesterday <laughs> in, in your story, you had it like, this isn't a series. If we don't win tonight, what does he do? He gets the game tying goal and they win that game to make it a series. So it's tough to count Florida yeah. out, but I'm also still leaning a bit more on Vegas. Yeah, like I said, they could check. Like they're they're just so good punching from underneath that, that yeah. that's the mindset they have to carry forward. And you know, in, in fairness, they haven't really played. They haven't really controlled play for long stretches in these series. It's not like Vegas where they, you know, are putting teams away in the first period. And or I mean, the Panthers just kind of like counterpunch and and do what they need to do to win a one goal game. The stat you just gave though is interesting because 
the, the teams that win the first two games on home ice, that that's actually even a higher percentage of teams that win the series, 93%. But on the other hand, but, but on the other hand, on the other hand though, we have had two instances in the cap era of teams when losing the first two on the road and then coming back and winning the series in seven. And that was the, the Penguins team that beat Detroit and the Boston team that beat Vancouver and, and then made them try to burn their city down. So it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility that, that it could happen because we've seen two examples of this. You're at the games and obviously, you know, watching American TV, but I don't know if you caught the clip of Luongo and Bieksa talking about that and saying like, yeah, I was practicing, yeah. you know, remember when we were practicing lifting the cup? Oh, that didn't go well for us. Yep. Just yep. win oh, for Roberto God. Luongo. That, that, that was- I still say that in all of my time, like there's been, I've been blessed obviously to have this, this job. I mean, let's be honest, it's a great job. I've also been blessed to be in some really cool spots to do this job, like whether it's the Olympics or other things. But I still say that that Boston Vancouver series was the single most iconic thing I think I've ever covered insofar as like what was happening on the ice versus the soap opera off the ice versus the drama of, the Aaron Rome hit and the, the, the whole thing in game se- after game seven, like the Luongo stuff. Like I, I still can't wrap my brain around how absolute real housewives of the NHL that entire series was <laughs> I mean, it's from a, from a dramatic perspective. <laughs> There's a documentary that's being done by a local filmmaker uh, about all of that as well, like about the rioters. I'm pretty excited for it. Oh, me too. Yeah, I, I, I think I exchanged emails with them about about that documentary because I had done I had done the article in the podcast about the uh, kissing couple and where are they now. Um, so that was the first time I got wind of that doc of that documentary, and I can't I can't wait to see it. I, I think it's just going to be really epic, and I hope that they, uh, as they say in in other hockey media, capture the spirit of the thing. <laughs> no soap operas, just hockey. That's the, that's the real spirit. That's right. That's what we love. We love it. <laughs> um, I want to get to one of the other bits of news from the day. Damon Severson signed in trade to Columbus. It's eight years, uh, $6.25 million. Devils get a third round pick. I kind of like it for both sides. Um, I know there's probably a conversation to be had about like what the Columbus Blue Jackets are doing um, in general <laughs> when you zoom out on the whole thing. But when you just look at that deal itself, I mean, Devils were going to lose them anyways, given their cap situation and their blue line. They get a pick in return. Well, Columbus gets the player before he hits the market and they get that extra year on the deal. What do you think uh, of this one, Greg? Yeah, I mean, the, Devil, the Devils get the 80, 80th overall pick for essentially Ooh. allowing a division rival to get a little bit more cap space. Mm. Um, I think that's a that's a that's a fine deal for them. I think that you know they, they could use that to better their team, or they could use that to uh, to draft accordingly. Severson's an interesting player in the sense that he is he's never been as bad as some Devil fans make him out to be, but he's never been as good as people outside of New Jersey make him out to be. There's always this like beating of the drum to get Damon Severson off the Devils because uh, he could he could help you at the trade deadline and he's like got a good contract or whatever and you know he's a mistake prone veteran D clearly a top four guy I think he's going to be fine in Columbus you just got to know what you're getting with him uh, and he's, he's a solid citizen I mean he's a, he's a good player um, usually can log between 20 and 22 minutes a night although his his average ice time dipped below that this season for the first time in a while um, but you know there are going to be those times when you're, you're slapping your, your hand on your forehead and being like, Severson, it's just kind of like what happens with him. But, he, but it's, a, it's a good pickup. And 
I mean, I think the top four for Columbus is being a little bit overpraised. Um, but that being said, I mean, a healthy Wierenski, a healthy Wierenski is, is great. I think he can be a top 10 goal of goalie, a top 10 defenseman in this league. Um, but, you know, Severson and Provorov are, are, are as good as, as, as they're going to be, I think. I think the point is that they can't be worse than last year. Like, it's an improvement on last season right. where they were scored on over right. 300 times. <laughs> And you wonder, like, knowing knowing okay. who's going to coach this team again, like, yeah. well, we'll find that out, I guess, next month. Like, you wonder how much of this was the plan going into the summer of Yarmo Kekalainen being like, we've got to make our blue line better, and how much of this was the guy you're hiring being like, yeah, I'm going to say no unless you improve this defense core because <laughs> I come from places right. where I've won with pretty good defense cores. I don't know. We'll see. The Blue Jackets were outscored uh, 329 to 213 last season. Seems That's bad. not great. <laughs> it's yeah. not good. Certainly not. What do you think about what they've been doing this off? Like the last couple days, they get the three-team trade, then they get the sign-in trade, obviously the news of Mike Babcock. Is this a team that, I mean, they have Johnny Gaudreau and Patrick Laine, so like realistically like they need to at least try to contend, but they're spending a lot of money and doing a lot of things to to maybe make the playoffs and probably lose in like five or six. Yeah, they have a real uh, last coach I'm going to hire energy, I think, right now for Yarmo Kekalainen, who's been there longer than most GMs uh, are currently in their jobs. And, uh, you know, you go and sign Goudreau to that big contract. You, um, you, you've you gone through a few coaches there. You're, you're, you're getting aggressive and trying to, you know, build a team around what you already have. It's 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 It feels very much like, I got to go all in right now <laughs> and make the best of this, especially with what we're paying this coach. Um, and, uh, and I mean, so far it's all right. Like I said, I, I you know, Provorov's reputation obviously has taken a huge hit because of what happened off the ice with the pride night stuff. He's yeah. a pretty good defenseman. I mean, he's not great. Yeah. Uh, he's a pretty good defenseman. And I think he could be maybe a little bit better than he was in Philly in the right structure. And, and like I said, on Severson, 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 but, but overall, I mean, there's no doubt that they've improved on, on um, what they already had. And, and I think the, the cost of acquisition was a little high on Provorov, but, but overall, I mean, that's going to be the market. You're not going to be able to find that guy um, necessarily in free agency, especially because you might have, you might have traded that guy to the LA Kings actually <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> last, last trade deadline. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Okay. Before I let you go back to being at the cup final in Florida, talking about sign-in trades. I want to get to some Canadian women's hockey supremacy. Who is who is mm-hmm. the Canadian? Who's Canada Spider? Who's Spider Canada? Tell me about this. I haven't <laughs> seen the movie yet, so, but uh, this seems pretty cool. Yeah. Thank you. So Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is how it's out, and it's a huge hit. And when I saw it, I noticed there was, like, a hockey stick in some of the scenes that take place in the multiverse and it's no secret that miles morales goes and he meets a bunch of different spider people in the movie so i was curious about this and and so i freeze framed it on one of the clips and found that it looked like it was a spider person wearing a team canada jersey which now really had me intrigued so i reached out to Mm -hmm. sony animation i'm like hey what's up what's the deal they're like oh this is spider canada i'm like oh of course it is that's not a thing that exists and (laughs) it's an original character that yeah, it's an original character they made for the movie. Um, and I come to find out uh, in, in doing some interviews that um, the, the, the animation studios that made this movie are based in Canada. So when they had to kind of fill out the background of some of these scenes of characters, 
one of the things they wanted to do was create a Canadian spider person, and in particular, a spider woman who is Canadian. To It's kind of a dual homage. It, it, the, the jersey celebrates the Summit Series, but the character is to celebrate the dominance of Canadian women's hockey for the last 25 years. So, you know, the, the animator specifically mentioned Haley Wickenheiser and, and Cassie Campbell and there's been a lot of people that saw the design of the character and they're like, oh, it's obviously Philippe Poulin. Yeah, <laughs> so Poulin, it's, it's a really, really cool <laughs> Easter egg in the in the movie. Um, and, uh, and it wound up being a really cool story that you can uh, read on ESPN today. Yeah, that's awesome. I can't wait to see the movie. I really liked the first one with Miles Morales. I love the game. I actually haven't finished yeah, it. I should do that later. Is, the game is terrific. No, this movie's great. I mean, like, just go, you know, I, I don't think it's any... The secret that it is the middle part of a trilogy, and uh, the only the only negative feedback I've heard from people is that people that people that people that aren't aware that the the movie does end on a uh, bum 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 cliffhanger. So just keep that in mind. Okay, well maybe I'll wait for the third one to come out. I get very impatient with. <laughs> uh, well, this was a very it was like a very puck soup story of you to do. It's fun. Thank you. That's uh, that's why I exist. I, I, I had a, a note from. <laughs> Uh, one of my favorite uh, basketball writers who's just like, you must have had a gigantic Cheshire Cat smile while writing this. And I'm just like, you know, there's certain things I know I'm good at, and, and this is probably it. Yeah, it's a good crossover. Well, thanks for doing this, Greg. I can't wait to watch the movie, and everyone should check that story out if you're interested in uh, Spider Canada. It's Mary Philippe Poulin. That's my, that's my opinion. I, don't <laughs> listen to what they say in the story. Awesome. She's Captain Canada. Thanks again. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> There goes Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Always a great chat when Greg comes on. Uh, and that conversation on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, 15-time Consumer Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344. We're going to head to a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Jason Bukla, former NHL scout, current analyst with Sportsnet, because the combine is underway. In Buffalo's Key Bank Center and Harbor Center, over 100 NHL prospects going through testing, interviews. We'll dive into all that and what comes up with the NHL draft with Jason Bukla coming up next on Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, welcome back, everybody, into Hockey Central 960. Final segment of the week on this Friday here. We're going to head right back to the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline. Because we got our friend Jason Buchla online, former NHL scout, current analyst at Sportsnet. He is in Buffalo at the Combine. Joins us now. Jason, how we doing? How's the Combine? How's Buffalo? Buffalo's a little rainy and yeah. chilly today, but yeah. no complaints because it's been hot and dry for so long. So it's a good time to be indoors. There are puke buckets everywhere. Are we at that point of the draft combine? What's going on there? <laughs> yeah, just behind me, the first uh, wave of kids just finished going through uh, that segment of the bike tests and the, the Wingate and, uh, and everything. And, yeah, I didn't I didn't take notice of anybody utilizing the big bucket, but you and I both know that it definitely uh, sees plenty of action before the weekend's up. I have never been to a draft combine. I was supposed to go to the one that ended up getting canceled because the pandemics. The Senators had so many draft picks when I was covering the team, so that was going to be my big draft combine. Then obviously, it gets canceled. But I'm I'm not too sad about not being there because it sounds unpleasant. 
What's yeah, a, what yeah, is no, a combine week like? Is, it's busy. Like, I mean, these kids, like we just finished uh, interviewing uh, Tom Wielander, the defenseman from Sweden, and mm. um, he had 30 interviews this week. Wow. Uh, we were his last kind of uh, stop on the media tour and he's getting ready to test now tomorrow but uh, you know that gives you an example you know you get to keep in mind a lot of these kids uh, they're hockey players by trade and uh, some of them have not had to be in front of uh, even a job interview before and uh, or a significant job interview and now all of a sudden they're being thrust in in front of all these executives Uh, sometimes there might be two or three people in the room but some other teams might have you know 12 to 15 people and it can be intimidating how important, like, how would you rate the importance, I guess I should say, of those elements of the draft combine? Like, we're talking about, you know, how many pull-ups can Sam Bennett do? Or there, I remember there was reports that maybe Shane Wright didn't interview all that great last year, although I don't know how legitimate some of those reports were. Um, but there's obviously lots of different parts that go into the draft combine. I'm curious how important all those elements can be when, when NHL – uh, teams, scouts, organizations are, are kind of building their draft board and figuring out where they should go. Well, I mean, there's obviously a couple of different phases. The the one in the boardroom, the interview itself with the kids, that can be telling. And one of the reasons it can be, of course, is uh, if you're asking them some pretty straightforward, constructive questions and uh, providing maybe some feedback on what you've seen and, and, you know, trying to put your mind at ease with some concerns, some of them will get their guard up and, and they don't like it. And, and that tells you something, right? It can speak to coachability. It can speak to, you know, they just don't like to hear that kind of thing, period. Uh, not enough bad days is what I always keep saying to, to the people, my colleagues in sports, saying, you know, when, when your kid leaves, I say, you know, not enough bad days because every day, as you know, Haley is a hard day in the National Hockey League, and it's not going to be uh, you know a bed of roses every day. So you're going to have to understand that it's a moving target, and you got to show up and, and give everything you have on that day. And there's going to be some constructive criticism along the way. So it's interesting to see the maturity level of the different kids on that side. On the other side of it, the testing side, um, it's really become a science, and and all the teams now send their strength and conditioning people and. Uh, they're biomechanics people, and there's team psychologists for the most part. I think over half the the league has them here as well. And um, I watch it more for the compete of it. I want to see that a kid. Uh, I don't care that Kyle Connor isn't going to be able to do uh, you know ten pull-ups. Uh, you know, because as we all know, we all love to have a Kyle Connor on our hockey team as he sure. sits today. Um, so it doesn't really matter to me. But I just want to see that he competes hard enough. To, to maximize whatever ability he has strength-wise in those uh, drills where the strength and conditioning people, they'll come back to us with reports saying, you know, I think that he can get to this weight or, you know, this is an area that we've identified that we can help him to get stronger. And, and you know, so don't – or is his fast twitch is in place, so don't worry about it. Stuff like that that I can't, as a hockey scout, identify. How many pull-ups can Connor Bedard do? And will that make him drop out of the first overall pick? I kind of feel like Connor <laughs> Bedard could go lie in the middle of the gym for an hour straight and it wouldn't matter. You know, so I think he's going to be fine. <laughs> I'm actually not going to do the jumps today, guys. I'll just see you in June in Nashville. <laughs> he just puts the beats on, lies down, listens to some tunes, you know, takes it all in. It's all good. I'm, I've already done what I had to do. Yeah, lies down on the force plate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me know what this records. Yeah. Um, 
as we know, Connor Bedard is expected to go number one at the draft, but, you know, want to get into maybe what happens after that. Is there a debate for you between Adam Fantilli and Leo Carlson for number two? Well, right now, I'm coming out with my final draft list next week, but coming out of the com- or coming into the combine, I had Fantilli two, Carlson three. Uh, we've had the opportunity to interview them both, and I have to tell you, they're both fantastic. Um, I don't know that it's going to change for me coming out of here, uh, but it is definitely debatable for a lot of teams in the league. It's it's too close to call, I would say. And and that's going to really start the momentum of uh, where the draft goes after that. It could be a disruptor, if you will, um, depending on how teams have their lists set up. Of course, after after those two, then we're going to start to get into things like the Mitchkov scenario and, you know, David Reinbacher's on the rise, a big right shot defenseman. So, um but right away at number two, I think there's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I can tell you with uh, 100% confidence that both those kids deserve that slot, and they were both elite interviews here, and, uh, and I don't say that lightly. What would make Fantilli the right fit for the Anaheim Ducks? Well, you know, I think that uh, the general manager, uh, the the ball of hate, Pat uh, Verbeek, uh, would really appreciate to have a guy like this in, in the organization. You know, he plays hard between whistles, can play the middle, can play the wing, plays fast, plays physical, has the brain to be used in a variety of uh, scenarios, including the penalty, penalty kill, can create offense in the penalty kill. Like any puck that spills into the neutral zone, you know he's jumping on it. He's just got such great quickness and size. So, I think he fits the mold of the um, personality of, uh, of Pat Verbeek and what they're trying to do there in uh, in Anaheim and with the new head coach, uh, Greg Cronin. I think, you know, him being a, a former college guy as well, I think that that, uh, that fits that mold there. Um, but having said that, you know, adding a big rig like Carlson uh, as, uh, you know, a, a guy to consider, you know, he's got some uh, some Barkov, uh, Malkin kind of Kopitar mm-hmm. in him uh, playing the middle, so... I mean, you know, pick your poison. Pretty, pretty nice problem to have. <laughs> Is there anyone that stood out to you, uh, by the way, at the draft combine? Whether it's been through interviews, through testing, like anybody who's really uh, popped for you over the last couple of days. Andrew Crystal from the uh, Kelowna Rockets was an absolute hoot in the uh, in the <laughs> in the interview. He was. This guy's got personality to burn. He's an elite offensive talent. We already knew that. But on top of that, I mean, we've all been – people who have played on teams, and if you're having kind of a so-so day, you know, emotionally, you're just not feeling like yourself, but you walk into uh, the dressing room and you see that person who can just light up a room, that was what he was. He was absolutely awesome. Like, it was just fun to be around. I could have talked to the kid all night long, and I, I think he could have went out for dinner with us and just hung out. Like, he was really, really good. Um, Samuel Honzik from the Vancouver Giants, great interview. Uh, hasn't been home, uh, you know, in Slovakia for over a year. He came over last August, still hasn't gone home, has no plans to go home. He's going to train in Vancouver the entire summer, um, you know, through mediocre English before he came over, full-blown, really good English now. Um, another guy that uh, you can just, you just get a feel sometimes, Haley. I think that, you know, you get a feel about a person and their character and the way they present themselves confident not cocky and they're already putting in the work putting in the time uh, Hanzek was another excellent interview 
So I want to go back to something that you said about the way that things could kind of open up after that second overall pick with the Fantilli Carlson and obviously the wild card that is uh, Matvey Michkov. And what some of my colleagues at The Athletic were doing a mock draft um, that just posted yesterday, I believe, and they kind of had one of those scenarios unfold in the sense that, of course, Bedard goes number one and then Fantilli goes two. Uh, and then they kind of projected out Will Smith, number three, and then Mitchkoff, number four, Carlson at five. And I think, you know, that almost speaks to how unpredictable that three, four, five slotting can go with a wild card that is Mitchkoff with the kind of skill set that he has. Like, do you think there's going to be teams who take a gamble on getting the offensive talent that is Mitchkov, or do you think some teams will play it safe given there are players with a ton of skill at the forward position who are going to, you know, be more readily available, so to speak? Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a fantastic question. And, and my, there's, it's kind of a double-sided answer. The, on the one side of the ledger, if I'm a general manager who's under the gun right now, and I've got three years left on my contract, for example, Am I going to have the appetite to take the risk to draft uh, Mitchkov and knowing that I might never see him, depending on how my team evolves? Um, if you're someone like Montreal, where you know Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon are going to be there for, I believe, a long time because a they're doing a fantastic job and b they have the support of ownership. You know, now you're talking about a bigger picture plan that you're more comfortable with, and also you have to factor in that they have a lot of prospects on the horizon which brings me to a team like Arizona. Um, you know, Arizona, their cover is absolutely full. It's leaking with prospects, right? And uh, you know that there's only 50 contracts. Well, eventually, they're going to have to start cycling guys through. And so that's another team that can wait on a, on a guy like Mitchkoff because their timeline with other guys dropping into their system is different than other teams. And they have some really elite players. You know, the Logan Cooleys of the world come to mind right away. Um so, you know, those are the teams I'm kind of looking at at the top. San Jose is a question mark for me. I don't know. I don't have a real good feel for what's going to happen there. Uh, I don't think that's a Mitchkoff uh, situation, but I don't know if, if a team might call them to trade up and, and try and grab, you know, a Smith or a Leonard in that slot. So, I don't know, a lot of moving parts, a lot of strategies to consider. But uh, I think you would agree with me. I don't see Mitchkoff getting past Washington. Like, does it mm-hmm. not just feel like Washington would, would take the Russian player because they have a history there? You would think so. Like, he's not – no, I, I, I'm with you on that one. I think it would you – know, like, if that's a team that would that would maybe have a shot at pulling him away sooner than expected with the idea of, like, come, come and, you know, assist on one of Alex Ovechkin's historic goals or something like that could make sense. Well, yeah, and, you know, Ovi's going to be a big part of it. He'd go over there to – and he talked to the people over there and say, you know, how can we make this work? There would be a lot more than just uh, Washington's front office going to work in, in that scenario. Ovi would be a big part of it. So I don't see him getting past Washington. But, hey, stranger things have happened. We'll, we'll see. There's a lot of great players in this mix. Watch, watch for Ryan Leonard. Ryan Leonard's interviews here have been outstanding. He's in phenomenal shape. Um, and he's a pit bull. So I think he's going to be rising on a lot of uh, teams' rankings, and he could be another disruptor at the top of the draft. All right. What do you think the Flames could do at number 16? Interesting players who are going to be available at that point? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Otto Stenberg might be available there, the uh, the captain of the Swedish under-18 team. 
Uh, we interviewed him today, uh, exactly what you would expect, a really serious kid. Um, but when he plays between the whistles, you know, it just um, – he's he rips pucks from all over the place, competes up and down the ice, plays fast. He's hard to play against. Uh, I think he's in that mix in that area. Um, you know, Hanza could still be in that area. I, I'm not – I'm not banking on it necessarily, but I think he could be in that area. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think of some other guys. You know, Wielander from uh, the defenseman from Sweden, if he's there, yeah. he's going to be awfully hard to go past. Like, he's so close to Sandine Pelica, and he's coming over to go to BU. Um, so you're going to have eyes. Yeah, very interesting, isn't that? You know, leaving the Rogla program to, instead of playing pro to come over here to play um, you know, at the college level, that was, that was interesting. Um, so that's, that's a name to keep an eye on for sure. I was talking to Corey Prom and uh, my colleague at the athletic actually, I was like, when was the last time a top Swedish prospect went to college? And he was like, maybe Carl Haglin. <laughs> that's not really the, the same. Cause I don't think Carl got drafted into like the sixth round or something like that. So it's pretty rare to see somebody uh, leave the pro ranks in Sweden and go to, go to college in North America. Yeah, it really is. It's an anomaly. And, you know, when Hagelin went to Michigan, even at the beginning at, at Michigan, he was just, you know, an electric energy guy. Uh, where here we're talking about Wheelander, who could project to be, a, at worst, a second-unit power play quarterback and, and log, you know, 23, 25 minutes a night uh, time on ice in a variety of roles. Like, he's, he's an excellent player. So I'm with you. It's an anomaly. All right, I've got about two minutes left here with you, Jason, before we let you go back to – back onto the combine floor next to the bucket i've got to ask about the, <laughs> i've got to stick with the flames here for this one um you know we've heard from craig conroy that he wants the team to get younger so if the flames mix in some more youth do you think they're in good hands with their crop of young talent jacob peltier connor zari matthew phillips dustin wolf etc what do you think well i i'm i'm really high on wolf i think uh, it'd be really hard to bet against the kid. He's just proven every step of the way over the last four years what, what he's capable of, which opens up the uh, the trade opportunity that's going to be Vladar. Um, so that one's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Matt Phillips as a group six, you know, has that ship sailed because I think there will be interest from other organizations to sign him, and he's obviously free to go. Um, Zary, I think, needs another year. Uh, at the AHL level, but I do believe in his upside, and I think he is going to score at worst at a secondary clip at the NHL level. I think his overall detail has a little bit of ways to go still for the NHL game, but he's a solid, solid prospect. Pelche has to be in. Pelche, um, you and I talked about it earlier. Even when he wasn't scoring, when he did get a chance to play, his energy was infectious. This is an infectious young player with skill, with compete, a guy that you can build some character momentum around uh, as a younger person in the dressing room. I like Pelche a lot. He's got to have a spot on the team. And uh, Walker Durer obviously took a nice step last year as well. All right. Great stuff, Jason. Thank you so much for this. Enjoy the rest of the combine and uh, hope to see you at the draft in Nashville. That will be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Yes. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, Jason. There goes Jason Bukla, former NHL scout, current analyst with Sportsnet. You can catch all the stuff on sportsnet.ca. As he mentioned, his big draft board is going to be coming out next week, so you'll have to check that out before the draft starts. Uh, I guess in two weeks, three weeks, it's all flying by for me. Stanley Cup Finals still going on to Game 4 on Saturday night. 
Otherwise, have a great weekend, everyone. Before we end the show, though, I want to remind everybody about something fun that's happening this weekend, this Saturday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. You can join us for Grilling with the Flames alumni at Trail Appliances. Come on down to 6880 11th Street Southeast and enjoy a meet and greet with Calgary Flames alumni, Tim Hunter, Dana Merzen, Colin Patterson. There's going to be a pay-by-donation barbecue lunch with proceeds going to Brown Bag and for Calgary Kids. You're going to have a chance to win a new barbecue that's valued at $2,200. And, of course, Pat Steinberg and Logan Gordon are going to be broadcasting on location as well. That's at Trail Appliances, family-owned and operated for 48 years with barbecues in stock, including Napoleon. For more details, you can visit sportsnet.ca slash 960. All right, got to get out of here, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, stick with us on uh, Sportsnet 960 The Fan.